faith works. This is the essence of James. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. With faith, with works, we stay steadfast on the journey of life, progressively sanctified. It's faith that drives us to action and makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute. It's faith that's causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. Well, good morning, church. Happy Father's Day. I've got two friends that are going to help me do scripture this morning. Um, Gretchen is going to read out of James uh, what we're going to look at and study this morning. And then I've invited Braden to read from Psalms 119. I thought it fit really well. And uh, Braden gets to represent the young men in the room with this verse. So um, I, I want to say before Gretchen starts, um, verse 9 uh, I'll always really never like verse 9, because um, James just seems like such a downer. He's so serious. He's like, stop laughing. Um, so when we get to verse 9, I, I just want you to think about, is there something in your life that um, you probably need to take more serious than you have? H- have you ever thought about one thing in your life that you're like, you know, I need to take that more serious? Now, an, an easy one would be like maybe health. Maybe there's one thing as far as health that you're like, I need to take that one thing more seriously. But um, James would even go further and, and just think about um, what are a couple things in our life that maybe we've been laughing off, but we need to do a better job with. So keep that in mind as Gretchen reads. Um, and since it's Father's Day, I also invited them to share one thing they like to do with their dads. So I'm Gretchen, and one thing I like to do with my dad is like outdoor activities. And so, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wrenched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Um, I'm Brayden, and one thing I like to do with my dad is to go fishing. And Psalm 119, 9-11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Thanks, guys. Now, um, Gretchen also mentioned fishing with her dad, so both of them. Uh, so both of them convinced me that probably next year, instead of handing out candy bars at the back to all the guys 18 and over, uh, I think women's ministries will just hand out, like, cans of worms. <laughs> if, I think Braden and Gretchen would, would both be, like, all over that. So um, I'm Pastor Dustin, and it's great that I can hang out with you all this morning. Um, I uh, have three kind of themes, three things I want to hit with you this morning, uh, in case you like to like, keep track of like, 
how we're getting through things. So the first thing is, is James is a unique book. I want to talk about that. I want you to leave this morning knowing the book better, um, having an appreciation, and just learning about its uniqueness. Second thing is, we're going to dive into the verses that Gretchen read. So we're going to go verse by verse and just sort of unpack that. Think about that, what it means to be a believer, and hang on to those verses. And then at the end, I'm going to kind of shift, and, and I'm going to say, as a father, as a dad, as I look at those verses, what does that mean? What am I shooting for? So those are the three things. James is a unique book. Let's take a look at um, verses 7 through 10. And then what about dads? I want you to imagine with me a high school uh, junior, senior, kind of recommitted his life to Christ, is trying to take his faith seriously, but um, his parents' church kind of feels maybe a little bit small, maybe a little stale, and then the King James Bible is like really hard to read. And so he finally, he gets an NIV student Bible, and he opens it up, and he's just looking for a book that like makes sense. And the, the high school student was me, long time ago, and the book was James. Uh, I want you to imagine a new believer um, just looking for a foundation in, in how this Christian thing works. A great place to start would be the book of James. Let's say you want to read the oldest New Testament book, the one that was written first. The book is James. It's not in there at the beginning of the New Testament, but if they did it in order, it would be the first book. Imagine um, a group of owners, of property owners in your area that seem to own and control everything. Your family works for them. They, they, they basically, they own the property that you live in, and they're also in charge of your church and the rules, and you see them walk around town with their nose up, and they seem to have really no care for the common person, and they live in their own bubble. James is the rebel that like kind of speaks against that group, and he does it with this book, and we'll see that take place as we look at it a little more carefully. So James, I think, is, is extremely relevant for all of us, at whatever age. Um, I think that it, it has a lot to say. Number one, um, James really calls out how do we deal with temptation, which is something relevant for all of us. Uh, James is interested in doing good and making a difference. Uh, he would be like a good graduation uh, uh, announcer, like go out into the world and make a difference. That's James. Uh, number three, he loves to call out evil for what it is, just evil and like up to no good. James has a deep concern for the poor. James is willing to, to send out a warning to those out-of-touch people in power. James is concerned for the common man's religion. James is, is well-read in the Old Testament and pulls in people like Abraham and Rahab into his thoughts in James. Uh, Talks about taming the tongue, which is relevant every day for all of us. Talks about pride coming before a fall. Don't be too proud. Talks about being patient like Job and being a prayer warrior like Elijah. And then his life is, is kind of like a story that, that could be made for a movie, even though it kind of has a sad ending, but we do get a great book out of it. And basically, it was the little brother that would have grown up in the shadow of the hero being Jesus. Would have grown up in, in Jesus' footsteps, literally. And then went on to be a church leader and got really um, 
I would say uh, obsessed or concerned about the leaders being totally out of touch and the leaders in the church um, saying a lot of the right words, but not doing any good. And so um, he did not make them very happy and they decided to stone him and he would have been a martyr around AD 62. So fathers, I do want to pick on you a little bit uh, and just say that, that I think James would have gotten fatherhood. I think that James can relate with us um, being dads. He is definitely about less talking and more doing. He is very practical. Let's keep your big words to yourself and let's see what your hands and feet can do. James would be the guy that you'd invite fishing and he would say, Dustin, I've heard all your fishing stories. Now let me see you actually catch a fish. That's James. James would say, hey, um, your neighbor's tree is in their yard after that storm. What are you going to do about it? Are you getting your chainsaw out? Are you helping them? That's James. Some Bible scholars would say James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's like a lot of wisdom and put into practice teaching for us in the New Testament. No, No wonder I liked it. It was just simple to the point. It was pretty easy to understand. The author is believed to have this front row seat into Jesus' life as his brother. An old commentary that I read uh, said this line. See if you can follow it in a little bit of older English. If John has lain on the Savior's bosom, James has sat at his feet. So John, if you read his writing, it's going to be mysterious and amazing and deep and endless and, um, and loving. And him and Jesus were just like, they were bros, they were connected. And then James is like, like, this is how Jesus walked and talked. And this is what he did. And so James just takes this very practical footstep approach to following Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you some of the things that I appreciate about James, but I need to issue this warning. I need to give you a warning. Uh, Just like if you've watched the medicine commercials on TV, actually I think all commercials now are about medicine, Um, but at the end it gives you like the long list of like all the the, the, um, unfun consequences. Um, One of the unfun consequences of James is that um, James has been certainly and maybe unapologetically works focused. And the churches throughout the past centuries have really hung on this And it it tends to be a way that churches become extremely works-focused, fruit-focused. This is exactly what a believer looks like. And for church leaders to say, well, if you really have faith, then you would look exactly like these 10 things. And so I want to give you that warning because um, James has definitely been misunderstood or at least taken too far And it's led to a great deal of legalism, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of judging, and frankly, a lot of people just frustrated with the church and walking away. James can come across as the most legalistic book in the New Testament. It can be used to clearly say, if I'm a church leader and I'm looking at you, I can use James and say, you need to follow the rules and do what I say, and then that'll show me that you have faith. Uh, Uh, I have Mennonite roots, so I think I'm allowed to say this, but I think Mennonite roots really jive with James. Like, nose down, mouth shut, work hard. And so that's, that's what James brings us. Now, as we read our Bibles, sometimes words from one author don't always line up with words from another author. And we have to decide what we do with that. There's a tension there that comes as we read and study Scripture. 
in, in the BIC communities, we call it community hermeneutics. Hermeneutics means how do we understand the Bible that we're reading. Community means that we do it in fellowship with one another. We don't do it um, we don't do it these two ways. We don't let like a pope decide what it says in a foreign land for us here, but we also don't crawl in a hole and decide what it means for ourselves without bouncing it off of other people. So community hermeneutics means that we do it together. We try to figure this thing out together. And so I, I give you this difference between Paul and James because you may have uncovered it. You may have felt this before. And I just want to call it out and then just show the different perspectives. So um, Paul is going to say, you are saved only by faith. That's what you need. Faith saves you. James would say faith, if it hath not works, well, then it's dead. Mr. Practical. It's like, if you have faith, well, then I need to see it. So I've felt this tension already, and um, you, you may have also. Sometimes it creates for long Bible study discussions, or I remember talking late in our dorm rooms in college uh, as we were studying some of this uh, at Messiah College where I was attending, and you kind of go back and forth. Well, which is it? Is it works? Is it faith? So it wouldn't it be great to look at Paul and James and say, guys, give us an example. That would help. Actually, they do have an example. They both use Abraham as their example. So let's take a look at what they do with Abraham. James, he says, uh, Abraham is justified but what he does and not by faith alone. Thanks, James, you cleared that up. Now, Paul says basically almost the exact opposite. Abraham justified by faith. If it was by his works, then he could boast in himself, which is not what Paul wanted, and not in God. Paul's saying the grace that God gives covers everything, not what you do. And so I just want you to, to, what do you do with this as a Christian? When sometimes you've got these opposing views even popping up in the New Testament. Well, I'm not gonna be able to wrap it up in three minutes uh, because this has been debated for centuries. Um, I, I will give you what Martin Luther said in 1500s. This is the father of the Reformation, the, the person who got the Protestant church rolling, uh, splitting away from Catholic church. And basically, he has this eloquent way of saying, I felt like throwing Jimmy, which is James, in the, in the fire. Because he was frustrated with some of the works, teachings that just comes out in James. And maybe frustrated with how the church kept hammering it and missing out on the grace that Paul was trying to get across. Now, keep in mind, Martin Luther at this time was really frustrated with the church because it had become all works-based. Like, this is what you look like in order to achieve faith and salvation. And also, this is what you pay. They were called indulgences. Look it up later. This is what you pay for your forgiveness. And so Martin Luther was just frustrated with the church, and he saw them using James again and again to just be extremely work-based. So as we go to James, I want to just give you the other flavor, the other side of it, so that you don't forget Jesus and Paul and how they looked at salvation. Now, Paul wrote 28% of the New Testament, so we pay attention to his writings. And I think if Paul would have been around for our series in James at Mannheim BIC, I think James, uh, Paul would have tweeted out to us this line. Do good, do it till you no longer have breath in you, but realize that you get zero points for it in God's book. Paul would be like, God's grace is amazing. And whatever number you are on the scale of faithful believer, 
If you're submitting to God and hanging on to that grace and forgiveness, then you got it. You don't have to earn it. Jesus told the thief next to him, today you'll be in paradise. Was that based on his good works? Absolutely not, because he ended up on the cross because of his bad works. So we know what kind of condition he was in and where he was going. Because of his simple faith, he would be saved. Jesus also told a parable about workers in the vineyard. They showed up at different times during the day. One early, one in the middle of the day, one late, and they all got paid the same. And some of them were frustrated with that. Jesus calls out that the amazing grace that is given to you as this gift, this eternal gift, can be frustrated for some people that work so hard, but it's available to everyone. So on, on the surface, definitely look like two opposite points. I'll let you figure out later kind of which camp you're in. Usually, I think anytime I talk to someone, I feel like they, they kind of land at one side more than the other. Like, yeah, you have faith, but show me. Or, yeah, God's grace is amazing and endless, and I just can't believe that he's willing to take a chance on me. So here's how I make sense of this. Again, I'm not going to be able to wrap this up for you. But number one, is it a difference in emphasis and not in message? I think that helps us a little bit, like kind of combine the two. But the second thing that's helping me is I'm concerned with what buttons get pushed in Paul's life and in James's life. Because who pushes their buttons comes out in their writing. So they, they, we would call it um, the false teachers. And they kind of call it out, and they're very open about it. For Paul, the false teachers in his life, the people that push his buttons, they're the Jewish legalists, making it so difficult for the Gentiles to feel included and growing or successful. Um, it's kind of like the church you might be familiar with, um, and I'm not saying we're perfect either, but it's like the church that says everyone is welcome, but you know, like, anyone different is not going into those doors. And Paul, that broke Paul's heart. So his button was the Jewish legalist that kind of made this cookie-cutter religion that people were just like couldn't fit into. James. What pushed his buttons were the wealthy landowners in the area leading the church, um, saying all the right words, but like empty and sometimes up to no good. Uh, We call it a barren orthodoxy. It is empty inside. James would even say, even the demons possess and shudder at knowing who Jesus is, about as much as like these leaders. But the demons don't care for anyone. They're not looking out, doing good in this world, and neither are these religious leaders around us. So if you want to use modern language for what James is, would, would sum this up as, um, I, I've got to quote Rich Mullins. He was a creative musician. Uh, you may know the song that he wrote that kind of goes with James. It's simply, I'm not singing it, okay? But it's faith without works. It's about as useless as a screen door on a Submarine, if you all know it. So maybe on Father's Day, I would say this. I think, Paul, I think Paul would basically say, dads, tell your kids in many, many ways that you love them. Hold them tight, show them incredible forgiveness, and love them all over again. And James would be like, hey, dads, get up early and make pancakes. <laughs> like, show them 
love. Okay, so uh, we can debate that another time, but I'm moving away from theology. I'm getting practical. I'm going to verse 7. On verse 7, chapter 4, we're going to stop at verse 1 because it sets up verse 7. So chapter 1 is simply this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Any dad or mom in the room who has broken up a fight or quarrel this week? Raise your hand. A few of us. Okay. All right. If anyone in your row has started a fight or quarrel this week, I want you to point them out now. No, stop. Stop it. Seriously. This is a peaceful church. Okay. Um, As a dad, I'd like to say that breaking up quarrels and fights is at the top of my job description. Um, As a parent, you, you have this tipping point, right? At what point do you let them duke it out? And then at what point do you like have to step in and intervene? But what's weird is sometimes my spouse has a different tipping point than I do. And sometimes, well, that's for another day. But um, so we've got, we live in a world where there's quarrels and fights. And, and let's say it's with adults, because that happens too, right? At work, I mean, has your extended family ever quarreled and fought? Um, yeah. Neighbors, bosses. Some days, uh, some days life is like you get up, you work, you eat, sleep, and you deal with people that can't get along. And then the next day you get to do it all over again. Like that, verse one is like the world that we kind of find ourselves in. James says, okay, what do we do with this? Think what I give you next is like kind of his recipe for like what you do next. But let me set it up with his wisdom understanding. Out of chapter three, I'm stepping back. Um, from last week and just touching on wisdom, or I will say understanding how life works. Number one, it is a earthly, worldly wisdom, one that's apart from God, that's, that's with the devil, and it's dripping with envy and selfishness. Basically, it's saying, you know where you find those quarrels and fights? Well, people are operating out of this wisdom. Envy, selfishness. It's like always at the root. Or you can see people that are with God and they are operating out of consideration, fairness, sincerity, and mercy. And there you will find peace and a harvest of righteousness. So that's James's understanding of wisdom. Okay, verse seven, submit. What's the first thing you do? Submit yourself. To who? To God. Why? Because God has the victory, okay? God's our creator. God's in control. What do we do next? We resist. We step away from the devil, from the scheme, from the destruction. And what do we do next? We abide because we don't get to win on our own. We abide. Uh, One of the thoughts I had for abide was like, like you step away and then you're sort of like under God and you're both looking at the same thing. You're you're trained then on God's will. I have a a, a pointer, a dog, who sometimes hunts with me. My other one was better. This one's okay. But but they hunt with me, okay? And then when we're hunting, like she's like kind of out in front of me, but she's looking for what I'm looking for. She's totally keyed in on what the owner wants to find. She's, she's basically abiding with me, making her will my will. And that's what we get to do with God. Like, okay, God, how are you seeing this? What are you looking for? What do we do next? 
we abide. And then in, in typical James fashion, it's not just about the heart. He does say purify the heart, but it's about your hands. It's about what happens. It's out, it's out on the exterior. It's your hands and your feet, your mouth. Re- one more thing on resist. We do have responsibility to step away. It, it's an invitation to take a responsibility to step away and to be then with God. I think um, James is pretty big on personal responsibility. Uh, one commentator said this, out of all the New Testament characters except for Jesus, James is probably the most firm on taking personal responsibility. We have a part to play, but God does the heavy lifting. So next verse, nine, that I kind of just talked about and Gretchen read, the one that basically like James doesn't want us to have fun and laugh, okay? So nine, uh, be wretched, uh, mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to gloom. What's that about? Well, I, I would sum this up with the word lament. And it was the, it's a biblical understanding of the word lament. And, and I really like this definition. Discovering that one's current path is leading to destruction. So for me, uh, an example would be me grabbing a friend and saying, hey, listen, I know you've been trying to quit smoking. Like, what can I do to help? Or with another friend. Like, hey, listen, I know you've tried to be sober. It's been a couple weeks. How you doing? How can I help? Uh, with another friend. Um, hey, um, you, I can tell that your wife, like, wants to hang out with you. Like, you're so busy, either with work or this hobby. Um, like, are you around for your wife and your family? And for another friend... Um, hey man, I, I can tell that your wife is exhausted. Like, what are you doing to help her out and to be at home and with your crew? Now that's like looking to someone else, but you can also then look at the mirror, right? Same thing. Lament. Like, you can look in the mirror and say, hey, Dustin, like this one thing, like, how do you think this is going to end? Like, how do you think this is a good idea? Because the end game here is not good for you or the people around you. So self, we can lament things in our life where we just know that it's not good. And James is calling us to like, pay attention, call it out, do something, take a step away, resist and abide. Or, or for James, I really do think he wrote these thinking about the church leaders. I think he was concerned that the church leaders were totally missing the mark. They were dividing the church. They were showing favoritism. He uses that word over and over again. At first, I was like, eh, favoritism doesn't seem like that big of a sin. But as a pastor, I sit and meet and talk with people about like hurts, pain in their past or what's happened. And I'm amazed at how many times the word favoritism pops up, especially when they talk about their family. So it can be a big deal. It can rip communities apart or families apart. And he was concerned that it was ripping the community of believers apart, the haves and the have-nots. And the people in charge were empty and they were lacking in love and sincerity. James says, Let's stop and be serious for a moment about things that need our attention. So uh, I'm going to pick on dads. 
So today is a great day to just celebrate fatherhood. And um, I bas- I've basically taken these verses and I've kind of twisted them a little bit in a way that gives us something to shoot for, something to, to have hope in, something to step into. I'll call it a tribute to, to fatherhood. Hopefully everybody in the room can also like make it for themselves. So um, it, it's for believers, but I do want to, since it's Father's Day, I felt the permission to just go ahead and say, okay, dads. So I want you, um, I'm going to have blanks in my script here about your name, and I want you to put your name in there. And I want you to pretend that you have a son or daughter who's saying this about you. It kind of comes off as a eulogy. I don't mean you're dead. Okay. This is just like, wouldn't it be amazing to receive a Father's Day card like this? Or if you're a mom, a Mother's Day card like this. And so let me read this. Allow yourself to kind of put you into these verses. I've based everything. You can go to the next screen. I've based everything off of um, the reading today. So number one with submit. I want you to think about this. Again, this is a daughter or a son saying this about you in your life. I want you to think about your legacy, what you are like creating and leaving. Number one. This is your son or daughter saying this. You know, time and time again, I saw dad submit to God first. Along the way, there's things that he could have done to hurt my mom. There's things he could have done to hurt us kids. There's things he could have done to destroy our family. But time and time again, he hung on to God tight and he was able to overcome temptation. I saw dad draw near to God over and over again throughout the years. Uh, I saw him do it out in nature. I saw him do it in his quiet time. I saw him do it at work. I saw him do it when he helped a, a family friend who was down and out. Dad, he was, he was really humble. Never acted better than others. He was never one to clobber, uh, clobber others over the head with his opinion or his rightness, even though he was often right. Double-minded. That's when spiritual treasures and earthly treasures compete in our heads. They duke it out. Money, that could be pretty high on the list of earthly treasures, is the thing that trips so many of us up. The thing that some marriages can't handle. A lot of guys can't handle money. But dad, I watched dad put money in its place. He used it as a tool for good and not a God to serve. And materialism. Well, materialism is a snare for all of us, but I saw dad build a legacy, not one of money and big properties, but just one of life-giving life. I think I saw dad find his wealth in knowing God and helping others first. Dad's hands, they were always callous from doing good, but they were also tender and full of mercy. Then I reached out further in chapter four, but then also went to chapter five for a couple more things. Dad could find the good in everyone. And if he had something critical to say, he'd say it to your face if it was going to be helpful but he wouldn't say it behind your back. Sometimes he was just quiet about it when he could have said something. And dad, dad, he grew in wisdom to a point where there was a patience just like Job in the Old Testament. And dad would pray for you. Reminds me of Elijah in the Old Testament. 
Some people believe the right things, but they live the wrong way. That wasn't my dad. He has the most practical, sincere faith of anyone I know. I'm glad that I got to witness it up close because he's my dad. Now, if one of my kids like, wrote anything like that to me, I'd be like, whoa, I did something right. That's amazing. That's good. It's life-giving. I didn't like, they're not in therapy because of me. Okay, if we're honest, James sets a pretty high standard. And I hope one that drives us and doesn't shame us. I do, I do um, apologize, or, or I'm sensitive to the fact that you might have been listening to that and being like, oh, crap. I get that. But I don't think that we have to stay there. there there's some incredible direction for us as fathers and as believers here in James. And, and I want to say this. Um, I thought about leaving this out of my sermon, but I just think it's important. Um, we get to see James at the end of his journey more or less. I think it's important to say, you know, someone like James was different at the beginning of his journey. They would have written differently. Like if I wanted to get into real estate, um, it's different for me to talk to someone who just sold their 100th home compared to someone who just sold their first home. Okay, I'm going to get different wisdom and different perspective from those two people. We are reading James when he's kind of figured a great deal of things out. What about early on? Well, we see James. He was a typical teenager and full of doubt and wasn't sure he was buying the whole Jesus thing. So, so let's take a look. John 7, 5. For even his own brothers, we're talking about Jesus here, his own brothers did not believe in him. I think James just got lumped into the doubting crew. Uh, there's another verse in the New Testament that says, and Jesus' family thought he was crazy. Pretty sure James is in there as well. So wherever you are on this faith journey, I don't want to leave you behind by saying, okay, this is what we're getting right as, as fathers, as believers. Because you may have just, like, you may be a new dad and just trying to figure it out. You may be a new believer and you're like, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. Because um, I didn't have it as a good example for me in my life. James gets you. He's right there with you. He wrestled with doubt to the point that it's called out in the New Testament and we get to hear forever that he didn't believe in Jesus either. So I give you these six words. They're straight out of the middle of James 4 here. Submit, that's where we start. Victory, it's not our victory. God brings that to the table. Resist, we're invited to step away from something, that lament that we know is gonna lead to destruction. We know that it's gonna lead to no good. Abide, we get to step into the cover of God who brings the victory to the table. Um, and then God wants to work in both our hands and our heart. It's both interior and exterior. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're like, I'm stuck. Like this, like if we pick on fathers, like this fatherhood thing is kicking my butt. I don't know what to do with this one thing. Or there's some er other area that's kicking my butt, and I don't know what to do next. We totally invite you. Uh, we, we can pray with you at the end. We have prayer people up front here. You can write down on the bulletin, hey, I want one of the pastors to contact me, uh, and we'll, you can put that in the offering boxes, and we'll get back to you. 
So we, we want it to be an open invitation that says, if you're stuck, if there's something that's kicking your butt, we want to be able to meet with you on it. I'm pretty sure, I might not have the answer, but I'm pretty sure we can sit and pray together and we can work through whatever is going on. So is James relatable? Well, I saw this, saw this title come across my newsfeed this week and I thought, you know, that I'm studying James and then I read this article and I'm like, it's so similar. So I just wanted to like point out the title. Why is there such a difference between what we know is good for us and what we do? It's kind of what James is concerned about. Like, and in this article, it's talking about like things that we think of um, outside of like our Bible, but we just think of like, uh, it addressed like sleep. Why don't we get enough sleep when we know we should? Why don't we eat the right things when we know we should be exercise? Uh, it mentions saving money. You know, we have this gap between intention and action. I think James acknowledges, he wants to call that out, and he gives us words that begin to close that gap if we abide in God. And, and from Paul, I think Paul would, would tweet right back out and be like, listen, we don't close the gap for others to see. That's not what we're concerned about. Also, we don't have to close the gap to earn God's favor. We get zero points but we move from the intention to action because Jesus calls us into that. Because that's the way of our savior. And it calls us into a new way of living. A way that there's more freedom, less destruction, more peace, less quarrels. James, why so serious? I think because he's concerned that faith has risen out of our bodies and it's like one of those little bubbles above a cartoon figure. And it like floats around with us and we have this faith. I think James is like, that's not, that's not the gospel. That's not following Jesus. Let's take that, that bubble up here and let's get it down. So that it impacts our heart. It goes and there, there's, there's things that we do with our hands and our feet. It's this full body experience of following Jesus. If you've ever like exercised hard and at the end of it, you're like, oh, that was pretty good. I should do that more often. Because like your whole body's like into it. I, there was people this week at kids camp. They were all into it. They had two and a half hours of kids and working hard and running and sweating. It was a full body experience. And James would have been like, see, told you so. Yup. That's what faith can be. It can be a full body experience. It takes on everything that we are dealing with and we're doing in this life. So last slide is just simply this, and I'm gonna work backwards as I explain it. Um, Our hearts and our motives and attitudes, they can be changed. Our hands can do good, but all that stuff can't happen until we abide. We step away, we resist, The Lord has the victory, and the first thing we do is submit. It starts with the word submit. I wrote a call and response so that we could do this full body, our our whole body together uh, as a congregation here at the end. So a couple thoughts uh, and a Bible verse that we're going to do together here to finish out. So I invite you to stand.
Um, I will read the first line, and I invite you as a congregation to read John 3.30, the second line, over and over again uh, as we flip through these slides. Lord, I lay down selfish ambition in order to become a better example of patience. He must become greater. I must become less. Lord, I lay down having the biggest story in a crowd in order to better value others and always tell the truth. Lord, I lay down laughing about my shortcomings and I mourn, I own what I messed up. The Lord opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Lord, I abide in you. Amen.